If you haven't listened to the first two episodes of season three, you are missing out, my friend. From Brent speaking about, you know, infusing joy into your life to Chanel telling you how to really live authentically and to stop striving for that next thing. These are two like just absolutely amazing episodes. So go back and check them out. But for right now, I am jumping in with the incredible Laura Spaulding. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneur. Welcome to today's show. I am joined today by Laura Spaulding, who is the CEO and founder of Spaulding Decon, the leading decontamination company in the U.S. She's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Inc. Mag, Entrepreneur Mag, um, and she's become a featured expert in growing a dirty business, which I freaking love. Um, In 2020, she grew the company by 608% which is incredible. And that made her make the Inc. 5000 list at number 768. She's got all sorts of accolades. She's got a massive following um, online too. And she's got a podcast that she's going to probably talk to us about as well. I can't wait for you to hear her story. So Laura, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Michelle. All right. Well, let's let's start off. You've like I think I was telling you before. You're a little <laughs> bit of a poster child when it comes to adversity <laughs> and like making yeah. it through some shit. So take us back. Take us back to that kind of introduction into the military and your your start of your journey there. Yeah. So um, I had a not a great upbringing uh, when I was younger, and uh, I knew I needed to kind of find my own way to be able to survive. So. Um, with no money and no help and no support, uh, really the only avenue that I had was to go into the military. So um, uh, right after high school, I, I went to the local community college that I was able to kind of pay for. Uh, the semesters I remember were like 350 bucks back then. Yeah. And, um, and back then that was a lot of money. So yeah. um, I was able to do my two years there. And, and then I was kind of at a at a standstill because I knew I couldn't afford university. And um, so I, my only option was to go into the military. So I enlisted into the army and uh, that was in 1994. And uh, I got uh, orders to go to Fort McClellan, Alabama. And this was, uh, you know, 1994 was a year after Bill Clinton passed the don't ask, don't tell policy, um, which is, you know, now non-existent, but essentially what it was, was just, you know, let these soldiers serve in the military. It's a volunteer army um, and live and let live. Right. Well, um, unfortunately, some people were not happy with that in the, in the upper brass of the military. And um, I went through boot camp, and then uh, we were in advanced training and with the same, same people, essentially, we didn't, we didn't move to another place. And all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of the night, there was uh, a male voice over the 
loudspeaker that were just calling in uh, female soldiers one by one. And uh, we were all like, what is going on here? And uh, when the, they would come back like an hour later, 30 minutes later, they would just have this look on their face of horror. And uh, so it was my turn to uh, to be called and I had no idea what, what I was going into. And uh, so I get in there and the first thing he asked me was, um, who do you think is gay? And I was like, oh my God, like I knew he wasn't supposed to ask me that, but here's the way he was going around it. Don't ask, don't tell means he can't ask me, but he didn't ask me. He asked me who I thought was right. gay and that's how right. he was trying to get around it. And, um, you know, I was furious to say the least and, uh, you know, obviously didn't say anything and then went back and at the end of the day, there was, uh, I guess the, the moral majority of had said, well, if we had to guess, you know, mind you, he's, he's intimidating these young women um, who are still very vulnerable in right. this, you know, boot yeah. camp scenario. And there was three of us that got identified. And so they, they put us up on charges for, for homosexuality and um, they were trying to discharge us. And uh, at that point, you know, I, I was estranged from my parents and they didn't even know I was in the military. And uh, my friends were in the service were pressuring me to call my parents to try to get a, an attorney because, you know, you get a military appointed attorney. So, um, you know, I was very reluctant, reluctant and uh, not surprised at the outcome, but I ended up calling my mother and, and I'm like, hey, I'm in the army. And she's like, oh, you know, one of those things. And I said, you know, I kind of need a I need a favor. Um, they are charging me with being gay and I need a lawyer. And she says, well, are you? And I was like, well, yeah. And she's like, then you deserve it and hung up the phone. The so, um, you know, I wasn't surprised. Uh, my friends were, but I was not. And um, so that was just kind of the beginning of, of <laughs> a long, long journey of adversity. And uh, to say it got better, it didn't. Uh, it, it just got more challenging and uh, you just figure out how to be, you know, more resilient. Right, right. I mean, I think... <laughs> I think the fact that you just weren't surprised by that, yeah, you know, just yeah. goes to show like how deep your kind of resilience muscles run mm -hmm. within your body. I think, you know, that you were kind of came out of the womb that way, right? When you're not, you're not surprised by that. Um, yeah, not at all. You know, um, I grew up knowing that I was on my own. There was nobody coming to save me. There was no lifeline. There was no, um, you know, better future ahead of me. There was nothing. If, if I was going to, to make it to the other side, it would have to be through my own doing. And, uh, to say that, you know, I got punched in the face, every which direction I went, uh, looking back on it, it's just, I, I still am surprised myself at how much I, I got back up. Um, because it's, it's so easy to just stay down. It yeah. really is. Yeah. No, it, it really is. And I mean, and for you, so you moved through, through to the discharge and all that stuff. Right. So take us through like what your steps were after that, because that's, that is a very difficult thing to overcome in itself. Right. It's almost like a scarlet letter to some extent. Well, it, it, it absolutely is. And, um, you know, it, it's that's stamped on your discharge papers and, uh, I had nowhere to go. I was homeless. So, um, one of the, there's three of us that got discharged and one of the other girls, said, well, you can come with me 
with to my with my family to Michigan. And I'm like, oh God, I've never even been to Michigan. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. I have nowhere else to go. So uh I went. And um her family was nice enough to kind of uh house us until we figured out what the hell are we gonna do at this point. Yeah. You know, and before I left the military, my court appointed uh lawyer told me um because I, I was very concerned about this scarlet letter on my paperwork. And he said, uh, don't tell anyone you were ever in the military. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, they'll never figure it out. Don't even bother telling them. And I'm like, wow, okay. And uh, I remember uh, filling out an application with the Atlanta Police Department. And I didn't, I didn't feel right about lying about it. So I put that I was in the military on there. And I was denied the job. And then the next department that I applied for, uh, I did not put that I was in the military and I got the job. So that tells you right there that uh, discrimination is alive and well. Yeah. And uh, it was it was going to follow me wherever I went. Yeah. No, I mean, so how did you overcome that? Because I know you ended up in the in the in law enforcement. So how did you move through into that? I told them that I was never in the military. Yeah. And that's how I got hired. That's insane. All right. So move us, move us through because it's, it's a, it's an interesting journey between law enforcement to what you're doing today, friend. So yeah, so yeah. tell us a little yeah. bit about that. So, um, you know, I applied to a bunch of different departments. Kansas city was the first one to hire me. I did not want to live there, but it was the only place and I needed a job. So, yeah. um, moved over to the Midwest and you know, I hated everything about it except my job. It's just right. not the the like the, the right lifestyle for me, that vibe. And, yeah. you know, being from Florida, there's, you know, there's no beach, there's nothing, you know, there. There's yeah, you know, it's it's different. So I learned a lot though when I had a good time work wise, but then it was so uneventful when you're not at work that I was literally working like 70, 80 hours a week because I was picking up uh, off duty shifts and work in there. So I did that for about seven years. And that's how I got the idea to uh, start a crime scene cleaning company. It's so crazy. <laughs> like, well, you know, it was, you know, it, it, was, sense, it was several. But... Yeah, but it was several things that kind of occurred, not one event, it was certainly um, several small events that were lack of promotion, uh, making $42,000 a year, putting your life at risk. It, it just wasn't worth it. Um, it. It's a boys club it's a glass ceiling, like nobody's business. And there's just, it, it's a, you're on a hamster wheel. You're going nowhere. Yeah. Um, so I knew that I needed to do something and I was so sick of the, um, being judged by a piece of paper, you know, your resume, I had no transferable skills other than right. law enforcement. You know, what do you say? Um, Hey, I, I'd like a sales job because I've sold a lot of crack before, you know, <laughs> as yeah. an undercover person, like, yeah. they're like, what the hell, you know? Yeah. So I yeah. wasn't getting anything. And I was like, you know what? I just need to start my own business, but I have no money. And, uh, that's where the, the next hurdle came. And, uh, I decided, you know, after one night, um, I was at a homicide and the mother of the son that was murdered, uh, was very candid and said, Hey, when are you guys coming back to clean? And I was like, no, we don't, we don't do that. And she's like, well, then who does? Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? That's a great question. So I just started out on this fact finding mission 
asking homicide detectives, um, CSI, other officers, and like, hey, who cleans this up? And everybody was like, we don't know and we don't care. And I'm like, it was a light bulb moment. And I thought I could fill that void and perhaps do something that was rewarding for me. So it started out being a side hustle. And the department initially said, yeah, you know, whatever, do your side hustle and have a nice life. Then two months later, they said, oh, by the way, we changed our mind. Um, here's the ultimatum. It's either your job or the business. And at that time, it was only like two yeah. or three months old. I maybe oh. had two jobs at the time under my belt. Yeah. And I said, I quit. <laughs> I'm, I'm miserable. Nice. I quit and I'm done. And I literally packed up my bags and I thought, if I'm not strapped to this job, I'm going to go back to Florida and get the hell out of this Midwest. So yeah. uh, that's exactly what I did. And I packed my bags, rented my house out and moved to Florida. And um, <clears throat> it grew faster than I ever thought it would. Yeah. I mean, that that story that you just told about like the mother being like, who cleans this up? Like, like she didn't have enough to fucking deal with yeah, at that exactly. point, right? Without, you know, and that kind of like, oh, not our job, you know, mentality. I think the void that you're filling, like people don't think about that, yeah. right? And that is where entrepreneurs like, do their best work or in those like little cracks of places that people don't even fucking think of. Right. Um, so you moved back to Florida and talk to us about your first loan about getting the funding. <laughs> yeah. So, um, when I decided that I was going to do crime scene cleaning, um, I found a school that was in the Dallas, Texas area. It's no longer there anymore. And I called him up and I said, Hey, I want to learn how to do this. And he said, you know, it's 2,500 bucks. It's a whole week. And literally that's all I had in my savings account was $2,500. And I thought, fuck it. I'm just going to take a chance on myself. Yeah. And I took my only week of vacation, the last savings that I had. And I went to this training school and um, sitting next to me was a, a guy who's still a friend named Bill. And he was a nurse. And he was telling me that he had literally walked into his bank and got an SBA loan for like $150,000. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow, you know, naive thinking that's how yeah. you get the money. Yeah. So um, we became pretty good friends. He literally gave me his business plan nice. that he used, literally. I just changed my name and my address, and that was it. And uh, I walk into a bank thinking, this is easy. Yeah. And, uh, Four banks later, they all said, no, 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 no. I called him and I said, what am I doing wrong? And he was perplexed. And he said, I have no idea. He's like, I literally gave you what I did. And then it was like a light bulb oh. moment again. Oh, I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what's going on. So, yep. you know, I sit there kind of down in the dumps and I'm racking my brain thinking, what do I do? What do I do? How am I going to finance starting this business? And uh, I thought, I'll take a home equity loan and I'll tell them I need new windows. So I went to a fifth bank, uh, happened to be US Bank. And uh, I said, I, I need new windows for my house. I had my check within days of for $15,000. And of course, I never, never got new windows. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I bought a trailer. Uh, some basic equipment. And um, I was I was off to the road, but I I, I still had a, a mountain, a big mountain to climb. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Because yeah. not only did you 
start the business, you franchise the hell out of that business and flipped it into a really interesting business model. So tell us, tell us how you actually got from point A to point B on that, because that is a shit ton of work that you did. It was, um, again, sometimes, uh, being naive is a, uh, is a good trait because yeah. you don't realize the shit that you just stepped in and that, you know, how, <laughs> what you're going to do to get there. Um, yeah. and, uh, so 2005, I started the company, uh, 2006 moved to Florida and then, um, I was just kind of growing it, growing it. I started hiring employees once I got to Florida and then, um, we were, we were just doing better and better every single year, but I was, you know, all, all my growth was pretty organic by, you know, guerrilla marketing essentially. Yeah. yeah. So in 20, uh, 2012, uh, we were still coming out of the, uh, the crisis and, uh, the financial crisis. And my, my, uh, lawyer said, you know, you should, you should consider franchising this business. And I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't know anything yeah. about franchising. Do do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start. And he's like, you need to look into it. He's like, you've got the processes already. You just teach other people to do what you did. I blew him off. Well, <laughs> he's because I was like, I have no idea. That's, that's overwhelming a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Very. And then in uh, 2014, he said it again. And I was like, all right, all right, I'll get into it. So I started looking into it, not nearly the depth that you should have uh, to, to do something like an undertaking like this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, contacted a franchise consultant and like, you know, hey, how do you do this? What do you do? And uh, I was in before I was really like making a decision essentially. And then once I was in, I was like, holy shit, what did I just do? You know, I was like, oh oh my God, like this is overwhelming. And uh, it was very, um, you know, started very small. I was doing the selling of the franchise territories and the training alone until I could afford to hire yeah. people. And, um, I was looking for people that were, were like me that basically came from nothing and just needed a chance to right. survive. Right. And I felt like I wanted to give, give somebody that opportunity because I was able to make it. And that's not who I was getting though. <laughs> right. <I'm laughs> that's sure. not who I was getting. Yeah. No, I was getting people that, um, had, you know, more money than, than I ever even dreamed of. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, did you stick, was there a point when you said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll change the criteria people were looking for, or did you kind of still treat, you had to, I would assume at some point, right? Like to kind of flex that a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the beginning mistakes that I made was, um, the consulting firm that I hired to get started gave me literally no education and no idea on how do you find the right fit? How do you vet these people? How do you know who's going to be a good performer? And nobody gave me any of that. So I had to learn by making tons of mistakes. And I made, I made a lot of mistakes. I I got a lot of people uh, into the, to the franchise business that shouldn't have been in it. It should have never been in it. Um, You know, they were basically looking for a job. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know in the entrepreneur world, those are two very different things. Very, very (laughs) different things. Yes. Yikes. Yikes. I mean, how did you actually, I mean, this is just a general question for you through all of this. I mean, what the hell kept you going with all this? 
Like this is this is a lot, and we're not even to like the, the present day yet, folks. Um, I'll tell you. Once I realized what franchising really was, which took like a year, yeah. Um, I realized maybe this isn't for me. Uh, this is uh, far too. Um, there's too there's there's too many problems with the business model of franchising itself there's a lot of loopholes there's a lot of um gotchas yep Yep. uh that i wasn't comfortable with and but unfortunately once you're in it it's something you can't get out of really um yeah because you have a contract with franchisees and you owe them that and um i wanted to make sure that everybody was successful so it was one of those things where I just kind of like, okay, I've got to suck this up. It, it's, it's not, I made a mistake, but I made the mistake. Right. Um, it's my own doing and I'm going to make the best out of it. And um, here we are. <laughs> I know. How <laughs> many franchises are. later? How many things? Oh um, like 50 something, like 53, 58, something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's like 50 something. And that's not including all the, all the bad mistakes that we made that we had to get rid of. Right. Right. That is insanity. No, that's another 20 right there. Yeah. That's insanity. I mean, oh, yeah. just mentally, mentally, oh, yeah. how do you keep, keep moving forward? I mean, you've obviously yeah. learned some tricks over the years to keep yourself moving forward or we wouldn't be talking right now. You know, I, I just keep thinking, um, I read a lot and I learn a lot from other entrepreneurs experiences. Yeah even if they're not like my own, I can learn something from them. And um, I have definitely learned that what I'm doing right now in franchising is, is happening for me, not to me. Yeah. And um, there, there's a greater reason for it. And if I can impact these franchisees lives and, and help them get to meet their financial goals or their, you know, their, their lifestyle goals, then, then it's worth it, but it comes at a price. It does come at a price at, at, um, it's very, very stressful. And it's, um, it's a 24 seven job because you're, you're helping multiple owners with different sets of skills achieve each of their goals. And that's one thing that I was naive about as well. You know, you would think okay, somebody with the desire to be in this type of business that has a great sense of empathy and that has the financial wherewithal to get into this business is going to be focused and driven. And that's not the case at all. I mean, that how, I, could, how can I you was very disappointed. That? How can you I, step into that big of an undertaking, man, and not be... Well, many franchisees have, have, a, um, have a mindset of I'm buying a franchise and I want literally everything done for me. Oh, they want it all handed. The process. Yeah. They want everything, all that stuff, which is fine because that you're buying that, but it's, it's more than that. Obviously every franchise you buy, you're going to get processes and systems and procedures, Yeah, but they literally want you to do everything for them. They want you to hire for them, fire for them, do the jobs for them. No. Uh, do their social media, do their marketing, like do everything for them. And that that's a misnomer. That's not yeah. what a franchise is. A franchise is basically, I'm giving you a 15 year head start to, to succeed. And I'm giving you everything 
everything. And I have an entire support staff that's here for you. I wish I would have had that. I would have saved so much money. Yeah. But the the mentality that they have is that's not enough. They want more and more and more. And uh, it's honestly the the business model itself is, you know, um, it's supposed to be symbiotic. Yeah. But it doesn't feel that way. It feels more uh, competitive or an alliance. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and with 50 plus whatever, you know, branches that you're supporting, like that is, and again, like just, just the personalities alone, I would think exactly. is, is like quadruple a full-time job, right. Just to kind of manage the different personalities and the learning styles yep, and, you know, all of that stuff, which I think to your point, people don't think of that. You don't think of that when you go through like a Dunkin' Donuts drive-through or Starbucks or whatnot, like what went into actually getting that off the ground or whoever owns right. it, you know? Um, right. And then taking pride as an owner. I've always thought of franchises as a really interesting, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I've always looked at them as like really interesting. Like if I own a franchise, like it's not me, it's the brand, right? So like, there's a really interesting distinction between that where I'm assuming, like you said, a certain kind of entrepreneur has to step into that because a lot of entrepreneurs come in with an extension of themselves with a business and it's not. And, and that's okay. That. Because yeah. when, you know, if you're running a Dunkin' Donuts, it's obviously the brand, um, you know, the, the owner is not the one taking your money at the cashier right. section. But with our brand, you're literally, the owner is the one that's meeting with these people in the yeah. worst times of their lives. Yeah. So there is a, a connection there between the owner and their, uh, their community. Yeah. So uh, the brand helps them, supports them and gets them out there, but it's up to them, the franchisees to make that individual connection. Yeah. And that level, like you said, empathy has to be there. You must, I would assume you look for very high, like EI in a a franchise owner for this, you know, because it's like you said, it's a specialized little area of life that if you step into it, you can't just be selling, right? Right. It's not like, it's not really that kind of a a game. No, it's not. Tell us how you flipped it, how you flipped into the real estate area of things, because that's a, like, again, this is just another kind of rebirth that you did company, which is amazing. It was another uh, light bulb moment for me. So I've always been interested in real estate and I never thought that it was something that I could get into because I never had any money. Right. And, um, you know, when you're always coming from the mentality of, of poverty, you don't, you see those things as unattainable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I was, you know, constantly reading books about real estate and how do I do this? And, you know, all these people, no money down and all this stuff. And I'm like, ah, there's no way. So one day I was um, at a hoarder's house for an estimate and it was one of the worst um, that I've seen. She was a severe alcoholic. And when I walked in, it was full of spoiled food and trash and empty liters of vodka everywhere. Like wow. it was a mountain of vodka. Wow. And uh, she was in there and uh, there was thousands and thousands of roaches and spiders. Oh, and um, oh, damn. <laughs> and it just, it smelled like a hot dumpster in, in yeah. there. And uh, her mother was in there with her. And the reason that they called was because this was a condo and the HOA was fed up and they were like, get out or clean this up, but we're going to, we're going to start fining you. Yeah. Um, her mother stepped in and was like, okay, how much is it going to be to clean this up? And, um, 
she said to me, I just need you to clean this up so we can sell it. And it was just one of those things where without thinking, I said, well, I would be interested in buying it. And she's like, you would? Like her eyes got huge. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, for how much? And I was like, well, you caught uh-huh. me off guard there. <laughs> Give me a I hot said, second. I, yeah, I go, I got, yeah, I, I got to run some comps. And I said, I'll let you know. And I said, but what I'll do is I'll give you a quote for the cleanup and then I'll give you an offer to buy the place. And so I go back and I'm running comps and stuff. And I'm like, I came up with my offer of $5,000. And I was like, there's no way she's going to take this. And I'm like, oh, well, um, I'll still clean it up for her or whatever. So I went over there and I was like, listen, um, here's your offer. And I said, don't feel insulted. The offer is what it is because I literally have to take this place down to the studs. It's that bad. Yeah. And she looked at it and she goes, when do you want to close? Holy shit. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I was like, it, two weeks work for you. And she's like, yep. So that was it. That was my first one. And I bought it for five grand and I put 18,500 into it uh, for the rehab. And I sold it for 65,000. Wow. And, uh, I was like, okay, um, let me do some more of these, perfect the process. And then I'm going to put it out to our franchise system. Yeah. And it has been one of the, the biggest wealth growers in our system. And it makes us the only one in the world that does what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, real estate's where it's at. I, if I had a dollar for like every entrepreneur that has pat on the show or talked to that <laughs> talks about that, like that yeah. is like such a wealth builder and such a driver and a, just a life changer because Absolutely. what you just accomplished is exactly what you said. You didn't even think would ever fucking happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you were like, oh, here's five grand. Like who would have even thought that somebody yeah. would be like, sure whatever, but you know, people in those positions, they just want right. out. Right. They do. Wow. And she was, you know, she hadn't, she had to get out and yeah. her mom's probably like, why the fuck am I going to pay for her to clean it when I can just get just get it. rid of it now? And it's not our problem anymore. So when I bought it, I went over to the HOA and I said, okay, your problem's gone. And I said, but you need to give me about a month, month and a half to rehab this unit. And he was like, no problem. Like they were yeah. so accommodating and everything. And, um, I had to bomb the shit out of it to get yes. all the freaking roaches and um, tore it down to nothing. The plumbing didn't work. The toilet. I mean, it was a full rehab. Yeah. Yeah. But a great, sounds like a great investment. Yeah, though. it was. You know, but I think like you, like in their bio, like the dirty job, like somebody has got to yeah. do it and somebody is going to make money from it. Oh yeah. Cause it's not there. Those types like those kinds of dirty jobs aren't going anywhere. Right. You know, they're always going to be there. And I think if you're brave enough to step into it, you live a completely different life now than you probably did 20 years ago, I bet, right? Absolutely. Yes. So what do you think, what do you think your next steps are going to be? Where do you see yourself maybe like five years from now, five, 10 years from now, whatever in the future? Oh, wow. Um, God, I don't know. I'm working, <laughs> I'm working on my book right now. Nice. Um, Good. And that has been, uh, <laughs> like childbirth, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it is, uh, yeah. it's difficult and it's, you know, it's, it's stuff you're writing about stuff that you don't think about every day and yeah. for good reason. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm going to do that. We're working on, um, a reality TV show with a bunch of, um, uh, networks from California. So there, there, it could go so many different directions. Uh, right now we're building our, our new headquarters building so we can have, you know, proper training facility and all that. So Thanks. that should be done here in a few months. So, 
Oh, God, five to 10 years. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that's great. I like your answer. Yeah. That, because yeah. I think like every step of the way you've told us about, like, you're just kind of an opportunist, right? Like you're, out, yeah. you're just looking at things like, well, here's this opportunity now here's this. And it seems like they're just kind of flowing at you if you're open to looking for them. Right. Well, and that's the thing is I've always felt like, um, you know, uh, the kid that's, that's trying to find the, the coins on the ground yeah. and make something happen with, with essentially the trash because everybody else that had, you know, all these opportunities and these, you know, great Ivy league educations and stuff, they're, they're starting out miles and miles ahead of me. And I'm just trying to pick up crumbs and, and make them turn into something else. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like you did a fucking great job at that front. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I mean, yeah. not many people can tell the story you did. And I think, you know, the book, the TV, your online following, like, you know, it's because people connect to you. They can, yeah. they can see themselves in you, I think, sometimes a lot more than those people who, and again, again, nothing wrong going to an Ivy League school. High five, folks. No. But, yeah. you know, my mom cleaned houses. Like, yep. you know, I came from an interesting background as well. And it's just, you know, it's different. It's different when you can connect on that level. And then when you become a CEO, you understand mm -hmm. all the rungs. Like, I imagine you understand every single role that's being done at your company right now, right? Mm-hmm. I've done it all. Yeah. So I'll never be one of those people that um, I have no idea who people are in my company or what they do. It's because yeah. I was doing it all. And then when I got to the point where I could pay somebody that was much better than I was at doing it, um, that's when I knew that uh, I was going somewhere. Because if I was able to pay somebody that knew how to do a website or how to do advertising or whatever, um, I knew that I had the right trajectory ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. You made the decision to stay in your lane and surround right. yourself with really smart people, which oh, is, absolutely. which is, you know, that is, that in itself is valuable advice, folks. Like if you can, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Especially when you're running a company or scaling a company, right? Um, any last kind of tidbits that you want to leave for folks? I mean, you are just like a wealth of knowledge when it comes to adversity and overcoming. I mean, any last kind of bits that you think would be helpful for folks to hear? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're starting from nothing, like I did, um, you're going to get told no a hundred times before you ever hear the word yes. And it's, you have to have the resiliency to be able to take those punches and hear those no's every single day knowing that you'll eventually hear the yes. Um, and what's sad is that most people in our lives, instead of saying, keep at it, you know, you're, you're going to make it just keep going, keep going. They're not, they're like, just forget this, go get a job or, you know, um, go, go do this, or I can't believe you're not doing this. And it, it's unfortunate because those are the people that are supposed to love us and care about us. And they're not, they're putting their own projections of fear, fear of failure. And, uh, I had no fear of failure because I was already a failure. So it, it, I couldn't go any, I couldn't go down anymore. And that is a position that, um, I would rather start out now looking back on it at my age, I would rather start out from a, from a point of poverty than a point of everything being handed to me. Yeah. Because what I've noticed is that, that wealthy people are pretty weak. They really are. They're not resilient. Um, they get they get thrown a curveball or two, and they just freaking lose it. Yeah. They lose it. So we 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 come from a better spot because we're scrappers. We know how to figure it out and and overcome and live through these things. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer of the more, the more shit you go through, the better you are at handling it. Right. Like I think yeah. when the pandemic hit, you know, I have two kids, they came home, should hit the fan with everybody, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And, you know, and I always joke that my family, cause we've been through so much, the pandemic hit and we were like, eh, another fucking thing, <laughs> Exactly. Like, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that to trivialize it, but I'm just saying like, right. Because it, it was, I think it if was. you expect life to just always be butterflies and rainbows, then it hits you harder too. So you have to know that the negative is going to come. There are going to be shitty situations. And then you also have to have the faith in yourself that you'll actually get through, which it sounds like you did. You had the faith in yourself to say, I know I'm going to do this. Yeah. And it's hard because when you're the only one that has the faith mm -hmm. in yourself, it's, it's yeah. really difficult yeah. to do that, but you know, nothing can, nothing good comes out of comfort. You've got, this stuff has got to go, go to shit for you to be able to pick it up and build it. You're not going to learn anything in comfort. You're really not. It's, yeah. it's, you've got to face these, these problems head on and there's always a way out. There always is, but you just have to figure out what that way is. Yeah. Everything's figure outable kind of thing. Marie Forleo that like, that's what yeah. she always says. And I, I tell my kids that, and you know, it may not be that it may not be exactly what you want as a solve, but there always is one. Yeah. Right? Just, it just may not be to your point comfortable. <laughs> Absolutely. It, right. Yeah. Well, tell people where they can find your company um, or any social links or anything that you want to spread so they can come track you down. Yeah. So we have a great uh, show on YouTube under Crime Scene Cleaning. We're also on TikTok and Instagram on Crime Scene Cleaning. Uh, if you have a uh, strong stomach, it's for you, <laughs> but it, it's, uh, it's very educational. So we teach people kind of the type of scenes that we go to, how we clean them, the, the people, the persons behind the suits, you know, yeah. and how they deal with this stuff every day. So yeah. it's been fun. We're almost at a million subscribers on YouTube. So it's, it's blowing up like crazy. Damn. I like the fact that you said the people behind it too, because yeah. you have to be a certain personality and a certain like person. Okay. With seeing tragedy to be able to deal with that. I would assume. Absolutely. It's yeah. rough. Wow. Wow. Well, this has been freaking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me, Laura. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Let's just say that it takes a special kind of person to build a company based on the stuff that Laura does. It really is truly right in alignment with the Dirty Jobs show, right, folks? But she does it and she really views it as her way of kind of contributing and giving back to society and helping people throughout their lives. You know, if you have a chance to kind of go check out more and research more about her, I definitely recommend it because she's got a hell of a story. And I think she mentioned, you know, she may even have a TV show coming out. So you want to keep your eyes open for that. On our next episode, I'm going to be joined by Brandon T. Adams. Now, Brandon is best known for his work as the host and executive producer of the Emmy award-winning show, Success in Your City, which is essentially a show which, you know, had this mission of redefining the meaning of success. He traveled all over to different places, speaking to people. He wrote a book about it, and it's a really interesting conversation, so you don't want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend, because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.